as we journey towards Easter, we've been, as I said, reading through the Gospel of Mark, and we've been trying to develop these kingdom eyes to be able to see the kingdom of God in the places around us, that the kingdom is not just far, far in advance. It's not in the future. It's not just after we die. It is here, and it is now. And we know this because what Jesus tells us in the beginning of the Gospel of Mark is this, the time has come. The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. It's right here. It's in your presence. Everything is rushing into this moment. And then Jesus says, because of that, repent and believe. And so we've been looking through the gospel of Mark. We see that. Oh my. I just thought you all wanted to hang out with me. Yeah, kiddos, go ahead. You can be dismissed to your classes so glad that you were here though do you know what no you know what the lights are so bright I honestly I couldn't even couldn't even see (laughs) they were waiting so patiently though they were being really good they were being really really good (laughs) I love it I love it Hey, I appreciate that you just could yell up and say, Beth, you forgot something. That's good. Feels good. (laughs) Um, Okay, so we are, we're in the middle of the gospel of Mark, um, and Jesus announced the time has come, the kingdom of God has come near, repent and believe. Um, And then what Jesus does after he announces this is he actually like starts showing all of the people, demonstrating the ways that the kingdom has come near and demonstrating and showing them this is what it looks like. He's showing them that people are healed. He's showing them that people are accepted and cleansed, that the kingdom has come near because healing has come near, that celebration, authority, rest, power, all these things are near. And if you look around the room, uh, just to catch some of you up, we have these giant post-it notes around the room. And what we've been doing each week is adding to them. We've been adding sort of words of what the kingdom looks like when it comes near, stories of what, how we've experienced the kingdom come near this week or the past week. And we've been sort of cataloging those and bringing those to the surface and paying attention to how do we see the kingdom come near. Now today is Palm Sunday. Just kidding, it's not, but I made it Palm Sunday. And Palm Sunday, honestly, has always been a little bit of a weird Sunday for me. The story of Jesus' triumphal entry is just a little bit strange. We have these palm branches, and we're supposed to be all excited about waving the palm branch around and being excited about Jesus coming in to Jerusalem. But Jesus has made it very clear to us what is going to happen when he comes to Jerusalem. He's made it really, really clear. In fact, if you've been reading the gospel of Mark with us this past week, chapters 8 through 10, you know that at least three times Jesus says this thing where he's like, hey, I want to tell you what's going to happen when I go to Jerusalem. I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. And here's the one at the end of chapter 10. He says, we're going up to Jerusalem. Hey, listen, disciples. Hey, followers. We're going up to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man, Jesus, will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They're going to take him. They're going to arrest him. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles, who will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. That's exactly what happens. And three days later, he will rise. 
And Jesus tells the disciples this over and over and over again. It's pretty much exactly how it happens. And I don't know how it is that they were putting together all of these pieces. I don't know what they understood or what they didn't. I don't know whether they thought this was like symbolic or literal. I'm not sure how they understood any of these things. But you would expect that since they had that knowledge that Jesus was going to be rejected, flogged, arrested, and put to death, that this walking into Jerusalem wouldn't look like a party, but it would look more like a funeral dirge, like a funeral procession. But instead, Jesus' entry into the city of his execution was just like a party. Read with me in Mark chapter 11. If you have your Bibles, you can pull them out. We're going to be in the first verse, verse 1. If you can pull up your app, that's fine too. All right? But read along with me. We're going to be reading Mark chapter 11, verses 1 through 10. We're told that as they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you. And just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord needs it and will send it back here shortly. They went and found the colt outside the street, tied at a doorway. As they untied it, some people were standing there and asked, what are you doing? Why are you untying that colt? They answered, as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and they threw their cloaks, cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut from the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Now, the way that Mark describes this, it actually isn't just a party. There's themes here that take on a lot more meaning than just this powerful welcome reception. What he describes is actually the, the, this powerful, this uh, welcome that is normally given to a powerful and conquering king that has come back from a victorious battle, but with some kind of quirky twists. And this parallel isn't lost on anyone. See, during those times when a king would return home from war or any sort of conquest or a political tour or anything like that, the king would march triumphantly into the city on a horse with chariots that flanked him. And with flags waving in the air, a pathway would be cleared for him with an adoring crowd shouting and cheering, Hail to Caesar! Go, Pilate! Hail to Pilate! Caesar saves! And so this story that's being created, this, this event that's happening, that's taking place in Jerusalem as he enters, this parallel is not lost on anybody. Instead of a powerful horse, Jesus has the humble donkey. Instead of wave, flags waving, there's palm branches. There's a pathway that's cleared with cloaks. And instead of them yelling, Hail Caesar, they're shouting, Hosanna. Now, 
for the longest time, I always thought the word Hosanna was like a holy way to say, hooray, hooray, you did it in a holy way, right? I didn't actually know what it meant, but this really isn't actually solely a religious word. It's actually a political word. It's made up of two Hebrew words, hosa, which mean God help us or God save us or deliver us, and na, which is we pray. Now, please. There's sort of this urgency with the na. And so what they're shouting is, God, save us now. Save us, please. Please deliver us now, right now. We need you right now. That's what they're shouting. And so for me, it becomes less of a, yay, hooray, hooray. It's a, save us, save me, please, right now, please. Right? This is different. This is a different sort of thing that's being yelled. From what? What is it that they're requesting and demanding and crying out for God to save them from? In that moment, it was Roman rule. They wanted to be set free from the oppressive rule of Rome. See, they were Jewish people who were living on a land that had been their family for generations and generations. But they were not truly free. They lived in an occupied land. The Roman government had run the country. And they were mean and they were brutal. They were sort of the break your kneecaps kind of government. Year after year, they continued to raise taxes higher and higher, resulting in many of their friends and their relatives and their neighbors being plunged into debt and losing their family land. And so life at the time, not so great. Life actually felt a little bit more like they were plummeting into an abyss. And here comes Jesus, printing, pre preaching about a kingdom that belonged to the poor and to the powerless, demonstrating his power to bring this kingdom through healings and miracles. And the whole time he kept telling the people, like, be quiet about me being the king. Like, don't tell anyone that I'm the king. And now finally, he was walking into Jerusalem, the seat of power, the old kingdom seat. And they thought he's going to be the king. We all thought and believed him to be. Now, if I was a disciple, if I was a follower of Jesus, if I had been traveling around and seen and heard all of the things that he was doing, I imagine that I would see him on that donkey and all the things raving in the air and everybody saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. I would be like, it's happening. It's happening. It's happening. Do you guys see this? We did it. It's happening. We're winning. We're going to win. Um, and who knows how they actually interpreted any of this. Maybe in that moment, everything was so grand that they sort of overlooked the fact that Jesus had said that he was going to be dying. I have no idea. But I imagine they were just thinking, we are coming out of the abyss into our kingdom. Just wait, you Romans. Just wait. Do you see what we've got coming in on this donkey? Jesus has come to town. Now, the way that kings often come to power uh, are different depending on the political structure. Uh, if you have a democracy where you have a right to vote, uh, people take power based on who wins an election, right? This is not the case here. The Jewish people had no right to vote. They had no say in any of the government. They were a conquered people. 
The other way a king comes to power is through birthright. They're born into that. Well, clearly Jesus was not born into that because he was the son of a carpenter. He was the son of nobody parents from nowhere land. And so he wasn't going to become king based on his birthright. And the other way they knew somebody would become king, that kingdoms would change hands, was by force. The weight of an army. And Jesus had proved time and time again through his miracles, he surely had the power to make this happen. Plus, there were thousands of people surrounding him at this moment. Surely we could riot and revolt and take over the area. And so with that, they had this expectation that the king was going to conquer by force. That he would start a war. That there might be blood in the streets. That there would be violence. But the old order would be punished for their atrocities, and the new order, who surely would be better than the old ones, than the original established, they would kick them out of power, and then the new order would take power. And so what they were shouting for was this long-awaited revolt, revenge against the Romans and their other oppressors for the enemy to get what they deserved. They all wanted violence and retribution and revolt. The interesting thing is that actually is very close to everyone's human nature. I was telling my daughter about this sermon that I was going to preach, and she was like, Mom, <laughs> I was telling her about this sermon, and, uh, and I was telling her about how like, we all want revenge. I mean, deep down, we all want revenge over somebody. And she was like, Mom, that's ridiculous. I don't want revenge over anybody. And I told her, really, because I remember that, like, two months ago, you made the word of the day revenge on the refrigerator. And it was because your sister had hidden your ear pod. And so you ate her Pop-Tart. <laughs> so you could have revenge. And, <laughs> and she was like, oh, well, that's different, right? And when we talk about it in this large way, we think, well, that's different. Somebody else wants that kind of revenge. My revenge is just about my ear pods and Pop-Tarts that got eaten. But all of it comes down to human nature. All of it is the same from the very beginning when we were in the garden. And Adam and Eve were tempted to define good and evil on their own terms. And every time, they sort of draw the line of good and evil, and they end up on the side of good, and who's ever hurting them or not complying with what they want is evil. And we do this again and again and again. And so often we enter into this story and we think, great, now I have a saver, savior. Now I have a powerful one and he can help me maintain my force for good in the world, my version of good in the world, my version for what is right, my version of how the kingdom should work. And then Jesus is here and he enters on a donkey. The interesting thing, the reason I asked them to bring this palm tree, I'm just going to like grab this up here. Uh, uh, yeah, I got it. It's good. We're good. I'm glad I didn't throw my back out. That was good. Um, so I don't know when you all came in, but if you were one of the first people here, this was beautiful. It was really, a be I picked out the nicest one at Home Depot. And... Uh, and originally, the idea of why we, I decided to buy a living plant was because they don't ship palm branches until next week. So that 
everyone else who celebrates Palm Sunday on the normal Palm Sunday would have them fresh. But I, I was like, we can get around this. We'll buy a tree. And then we'll have the experience of what was it really like to rip off the branches from the tree? Because that's what they did, right? They go into the street and they're just like, oh, I need something. I need some. Can, can you imagine how shredded all the palm trees were in Jerusalem around that time? Like, they must have all looked so dank and dinky. Like, what the heck happened to these palm trees? And we got scissors, but I really wanted people to experience, like, the violence <laughs> of ripping the palm tree off of the tree. Like, I kind of wanted that on purpose. Because when we want to take power, oftentimes when we want to set things right, when we want to create vengeance or right, what we say is right, in our own wisdom, it looks like this. It looks like the ripping and the tearing. It looks like it winds up being a lot of destruction. It winds up being messy and broken and really no better than the other people who were in power before us. And this is what we're sort of left with. But in Jesus' wisdom, he wanted to do this all different. He wanted to do it so different. For Jesus, he knew that he had to come in on a donkey on purpose. In the book of Zechariah, it talks about the Messiah coming in to Jerusalem as a king, gently, and riding a donkey. Not a big war horse, but a donkey. And that when you saw that, you would know that this was the Messiah, the long-awaited king, the son of David. And I want to read that passage to you. It's Zechariah chapter 9. It says this, Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See your king comes to you, righteous, and victorious, lowly, riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will take away, and then, and then here's the interesting thing. He, the, it continues, and he starts talking about what will happen when this king comes. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim. Why are there no more chariots? Because there's no more war. And the war horses from Jerusalem, gone. You don't need them. The battle bow will be broken. Why? Because peace has come. He will proclaim peace to the nations, not just for the Jews, but for all nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from river to the ends of the earth. There's all of these ways that Jesus is like, no, 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 I'm not, I'm not just here to create a political peace for the Jews during this time frame. It was a peace that would come from defeating his true enemy, not the Romans, but sin and death, because those are the ultimate enemies. Jesus had come to provide a different kind of freedom. He had come to secure a future that they could not have possibly imagined. He didn't just come for one group of people or to free a particular free them from a particular government, but he came to set the entire world free from bondage, now and forever. He didn't just come to take away the pain that we're all experiencing right now, but to take away the pain of all of humanity forever. He didn't just come to give us more money or more security or more happiness, but to give us all of himself 
which is the only thing that will satisfy. He didn't just come to give us a better life, but to give us a world of everlasting life. And so Jesus fulfills this prophecy of Zechariah. The worldwide peace is proclaimed by this humble king who fulfills the angel's song in Luke 2. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace and goodwill to all mankind. Now this kind of peace, this kind of peace couldn't just be done from the top of a majestic white war horse with a great army, but it's done with humility and a willingness to take the form of a servant and submit to the violence of death. Only by receiving the worst of sin and death could throw at him could this king outsmart his enemies. And so Jesus comes to bring peace, but this peace he brings isn't soft. Oftentimes we think of peace as a, a soft, easy thing, but it's not. True peace requires, doesn't come by placating to the status quo or by keeping quiet. Peace requires sacrifice. And it was Christ's own blood that created the sacrifice. It's like the violence of surgery. This past week I actually had... Um, some dental surgery that I had to do on Tuesday. And I, I went in, and I didn't really think it was going to be a big deal at all. And so I'm just like, do, 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 do. I had like, Zach was like, you want to go see the Capitals Tuesday night? Somebody has tickets. And I was like, maybe that's not a good idea because I'm supposed to have surgery, but I'll probably be okay. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. So I thought I might go to a hockey game after my dental surgery. Um, but in the middle of the surgery, I am like pinned down in the chair, and they're doing all sorts of different things, and it is so painful. And I'm thinking to myself, why would anybody say yes to this? Why would anybody say, yes, doctor, please cut me open? Like, this doesn't make any sense whatsoever. And I realized that the only reason you do this, the only reason you let yourself be vulnerable to this type of like violence of surgery is because you believe that it will bring healing. You believe that it will bring peace, right? And what I think is so interesting is the juxtaposition between the violence that the crowds really had hoped for and wanted, the revolt and the overthrow. And what Jesus actually brings is this sort of violence of surgery. But it's not like a violence to bring destruction. It's one that brings healing. Jesus comes with this hope for healing and ultimately peace. Jesus didn't become the king as a result of birth or force or votes. Jesus became king by the power of losing his life. Jesus became king by laying down his life, and then he rose from the grave. And you can't stop a king like that, because even when he dies, he lives. Even when he loses, he wins. You can't stop a king like that. You can't. And so the only thing you can do is join that king. And so Jesus is the king and he's the Messiah who can transform you. He urges us to allow him to transform us so we can see the world transformed. And so we go back where we've been the last couple weeks. So what are we supposed to do with this news? of this kingdom come close. We're supposed to repent and believe. 
And remember that idea of repenting, even though in our construct, in our society, it's like, woe is me, I'm a sinner. Yeah, maybe, but it's a directional turn. It's like, hey, I was walking in this way towards violence and retribution and war, and I'm going to steal your Pop-Tart because you stole my headphones. And the kingdom is calling us, no, 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 turn. Pursue a kingdom of peace. Pursue one that lays down your life and allows God to be the one that transforms all things. And so my invitation for you this morning is to actually sort of be able to think, allow God to bring to the surface what are the areas where you're holding on to, I can fix it. If I just manhandle it a little bit more, I can make this thing work. I can make this relationship work. I can make this job thing work. I can make my body do the thing I want it to do. I can, whatever the thing is, wherever it is that you are just trying to make it happen. And instead, maybe what we need to do is to take the palm branches that we have violently grabbed and are trying to hold on to and make him become the thing we want him to do, to take our palm branches and to lay them at the cross. And say, I give this thing up to you. I allow you to be the one who brings peace. And so while we respond to this next song, uh, to this next song, we're actually going to sing the same song that we sung um, at the beginning of the service. I invite you to respond in one of two ways, or both if you'd like to. If you'd like to take your palm branch and you would like to symbolically lay at the cross in a way of saying, listen, I am trying to hold on to this thing. I'm trying to manhandle this. I'm trying to create my own kingdom. I'm trying to take power over whatever the thing is in your life. And you want to say, Jesus, bring peace to this thing. I'm going to invite you to lay it at the cross. And another way you can respond is if you would like to write a word or a phrase on the white papers to sort of say, hey, this is where Christ is bringing peace into my life. This is where I'm asking, maybe it hasn't come yet, but I'm asking for Christ to bring peace into this place. Let's pray together. Father God, how awesome is it that you are a God who can conquer in ways that we don't even imagine, that you don't even need to use force. You can use your sacrifice and your peace, that you are a God who sees not the enemies that are just before us, but the ultimate enemies of sin and death. And Father God, we just ask that this morning, if there's something in us that is, um, that is getting in the way of your kingdom come in our life, that we would lay that at your feet, that we would let go of it so that your kingdom may be made manifest in the spaces around us. Father God, we pray all these things in your holy and precious name. Amen.